Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Scottish Housing News podcast. And I'm Jimmy Black. I always forget every time to introduce myself, so I'm doing it properly this time. And with me in the studio is Kieran Finlay, the editor of Scottish Housing News. Kieran, tell us who we do we have with us today. Today we have Jennifer Higgins, the managing director of Connect Modular, part of the WeHouse company, and Andy Kennedy, the project manager for Hillcrest, who is working on the £13 million Victoria Dock development in Dundee. So today we're talking about modern methods of construction, that's one term for it, where you build the house in a factory, bring it on site, screw it together, and there you have it, it's all done. Maybe it's not as simple as that, but we'll find out later. And this kind of new way of doing things isn't so new because we've been talking about it for 20 or 30 years. Hillcrest have had various experiments in the past with it, I remember. Um, and you know other organisations have, have been using it, but it still hasn't caught on as the absolute normal way of building a house in Scotland. And I'd be interested to know why, because it does seem to be much more efficient. It means the work can be done indoors. It reduces delays, or that's what I think as a layperson. So we'll find out more from Andy and from Jennifer during the course of the podcast. And let's start, Andy, with you. What is it, exactly is it that you're doing at the Riverside in Dundee? Quite a prestigious project. Yeah, it's a, it's a prime site. It's a prime site, Jimmy. And uh, it's as you go over the Tay Bridge from Fife, where I'm based, uh, it's just on the right, the opposite side from the V&A. Um, we've had this this site that's been kicking about for quite a while, uh, and it came to us and we, we tried to get it stack up, you know, traditional build, um, and it just wasn't touching the sides. So we valued engineered it, went back out to the market. Um, so the opportunity of actually looking at modular construction, off-site construction, um, came up and we, we investigated that to see if, if it would stack up for us by going down that route. And so far, so good, yeah, it's stacking up. Good stuff. And Jennifer, what's the context with modern methods of construction or whatever term you want to use for it in Scotland? Am I right to say that it hasn't yet established itself as the normal way to build? That, um, you know, construction in the UK has sort of really been pretty stagnant in terms of innovation, maybe for the last 50 years or so. We were really delighted to see that um, Scottish Government's housing to 24 Body strategy sort of puts off-site construction front and centre as the the means of delivering the, the 110,000 new homes that they're looking to build by 2032. And I think it, you know, that has really made people sit up and think, well, why is the construction industry the only industry that, you know, has barely changed at all um, in the last sort of 50 years or so? You know, my grandfather was a joiner to trade he did his apprenticeship in he started in 1952 so actually more than 70 years ago and you know i really honestly think that if he was to come at come on to a traditional building site today it would probably take him you know less than than a day to pick up all of the sort of innovations that, are, that have happened in all that time which is just it's just mind-blowing really and you know, hopefully, the interest that we've seen uh, from from different housing associations and councils will now start to translate into getting homes, modular homes, on the ground, and um, that will really help us to sort of prove 
prove the concept of, of modular and off-site construction and really show that it is, you know, a, a way to build better quality homes, it's a way to build greener homes and it's a way to, to get uh, occupancy into new homes faster. So have you got any ideas about what's holding up the sector? Why, why haven't we embraced this technology sooner? Is it political? Is it people wanting to keep the word lo work local? What's going on? I think there are, there are a lot of um, things that sort of make development a, a slow process. You know, there's obviously a lot of work to be done up front in terms of putting statutory consents in place. Um, that mean you know it takes longer for the sort of time to tick by for for new projects to pick up new ideas. I would say also maybe structural warranty providers and mortgage lenders have held up in a, innovation in the industry um, with their sort of reluctance to, to change and, and embrace new innovations and, and new ideas. But again, I think that's somewhere that we're really starting to see a change at the moment with um, NHBC uh, and Premier Guarantee having dedicated programmes for, for assessing and monitoring off-site construction and, and providing warranties for them, which then in turn gives the, the lenders um, some some real comfort as well. So so I think you know it's been a long time coming, but we're we're starting to see some some huge leaps at the moment. Andy, just on that, you, you mentioned that Hillcrest's first choice for the Victoria Dock site was a traditional build. I mean, it's not open yet, but given the uh, the experience that you've got now with this type of building method. Will Hillcrest look to that first choice from now on? Or is it a site-by-site -site basis? <laughs> yeah, watch this space. Yeah. Um, we, we, where we are at the moment is we've landed about out of about 300 pods. So we're talking about 119 apartments uh, made up of three, 300 different pods. So when, when I first got into that discussions, I just assumed it was like a, a holiday inn kind of thing where the pods would be the bathrooms and the kitchens and that, that's the level we're talking about. We're, we're talking about about three or four pods per apartment that kind of get bolted together on site. So yes, would we would we do it again? When we got into this process, there were a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties and we were sold on it. The fact that it is actually a more of a certain type of building or um, there's more certainties in it in terms of the the weather, the weather won't really play a part in it. Uh, they can hold on to their staff more in the, in the big factories because they're warmer and health and safety is better. So not much staff turnaround. More certainty on cost because we can stockpile a lot of material and the contractor can buy it up front. But those, those, those three things came back to bite us. Brexit happened and we lost a lot of our skill, skilled steel workers who, who went home to their native countries. Obviously, the price is still rocketed through the roof. And and the day that we started landing the pods, I think we had three storms. Two of them were given names. Two of them even had names. So so that held up a few things. So out of out of where we are at the moment, landing about uh, 60 pods, I think we've got on site out of 300. Um, we're still a long way away from finding out what other sting in the tail there is in this in this uh, methodology there will be some there will be some that we're not we don't what's going to come out of left field and get us but that's the nature of that's the nature of the industry and it's certainly the nature of taking on a, a non-traditional build with the lack of knowledge basically we do have north of the border 
And Jennifer, you're a person with a background in entrepreneurship. You've got a couple of awards for being a young entrepreneur and you've got a first class business degree from Strathclyde. You've brought this kind of knowledge and experience and uh, academic learning into the housing sector. Are there other people like you? Well, like like Jenny, like Jenny. I don't think I've only met Jenny the last fifteen minutes. There's no one like Jenny. Are there other people like me? I think um, you know there is a lot of innovation and a kind of entrepreneurial mindset um, within the the housing sector, and you know we're seeing some some real changes afoot. For example, with the Edinburgh Homes Demonstrator project. Um, where they're looking to sort of bring a number of housing associations and, and council partners together to sort of create a pipeline of work for the off-site industry that will then help off-site manufacturers to be able to sort of attract more investment into green technology and manufacturing technology for construction. Everybody is really embracing new ways of working and you know that's what that's what entrepreneurial mindset is all about. And you reckon then that modular construction can work in a very small scale as well as in a big scale because one of the arguments was that there wasn't a factory in Scotland it wasn't worth creating a factory in Scotland because the projects weren't big enough to, to make it worthwhile. Um, but clearly it seems to be working for you at, at different levels. Yes, absolutely. I think it's all about, you know, how how you set up your factory and your, your manufacturing processes. Um, and we've, having originally started um, on providing modular construction for sort of small-scale individual projects, we've always been focused on uh, creating methods of working in the factory that allow us a high degree of, uh, sort of variation within our designs and, and, and customization for our clients as well. Um, we use a, a cell production system in the factory rather than production line so that we can have a, a greater de degree of variation in the, the modules that we complete. Um, so, you know, I think it's you know, definitely something that works well on a, a small scale as well as a large scale. Obviously, the, the biggest efficiencies in terms of cost and in terms of, you know, time scale as well are generated when, on, on bigger projects. But, but definitely, you know, a viable means of, of construction for, for both projects, big and small. So, Andy, back to Dundee, this development will be Scotland's largest modular construction project of affordable homes when it's complete. Just talk me through the process. So, Connect Modular, or in the case of Victoria Dock, Innovate Homes, have constructed the modules, they've been delivered on site. I know us in the media love to use the word Lego to describe the building process from then on. Is it really that simple? It is, yeah. It is. It's it's actually so simple. When you go through, you kind of go, oh, it's a light bulb moment. Oh, this is how they do it. Um, so the the factory's out of Wishart, so it's quite it's quite a trek away, and so they're they're built out there in controlled environments from from the off the ground. You know, they've got this big kit that swirls this big steel steel cage, which forms the frame of the pod around, and they work at it from the ground. So uh, that ticks all the boxes from health and safety, and then. The ma they've got massive uh, factories, so it, it, then they, they kind of bring the pods into the kind of fitting out area where uh, they go and do the first fix and they go they do all the plasterboard, they get all the electricals in and the plumbing. 
Um, meanwhile, because it's all offsite, we're spending all this money, and or we don't know, we, we don't see any of it being uh, being spent. Uh, we we'll have to have a clerk who works out there the whole time that kind of reports back to us with photos to say, "Don't worry, your money's going, your money's being spent well." So they they, they finish the pods right. They, they, each pod will be given all its white goods. So it, each toilet goes in there. It's not plumbed up because the connections would jiggled uh, free potentially on the hall when it comes through on the back of trucks but it, the kitchens are put in and so everything everything that goes into a flat is contained within this pod then it's shrink wrapped stored and then put on the back of a truck and brought through uh, and when it arrives on site it gets crewed into position now the, the the actual pods themselves are the, is the structure so they Steel, the steel frame forms the pod and that forms the structure. So it is like a Lego block, but they're hollow. So when one gets put on top of it, uh, a big steel threaded cable basically gets put, put through the legs of each corner of these pods. I always thought it's a bit like a docking station or um, in space where you've got a, a, an inverted cone and another spaceship comes in to kind of connect to it. And so the two cones kind of connect in a one and it's a beautiful moment in space when that happened. That's like that when the pods arrive. We were, we were all sitting there biting our nails, waiting for the first pods to be delivered. And and, and on site, it's down, I think there's a tolerance of two mil on site from the, the, the ground floor pods getting positioned under these these footings. And then and then the other pods, the first and second, uh, um, they're a bit more easy to, to put on top of the ground floor ones because it is this inverted cone that it just sinks into like a space dock. They make it look easy, and it's beautiful to watch. There is more to do, though, once it once the pods arrive, because you must be building on the external cladding, or the, you know, how how are they finished? Yeah, it's finished. Um, it's finished with stonework and brickwork, and the scaffolding does come out at that point. So it does slip into kind of more of a traditional build. But but what we do get from it is a bit of protection, wind and water tightness because these pods are self-contained and wrapped. So nothing is left really exposed or it shouldn't be. The, the pods are leaving the factory almost pristine. Uh, and what we're finding is that through the craneage or through the haulage, there are some cracks forming. And um, so there is an element of actually going in and making good whilst we're on site. And, and um, before, whilst the pods were happening as well, we got on and did all the external landscaping or 50% of the external landscaping. So that, that cuts the program off by quite a few months. So a lot of things can happen in parallel. So the pods are getting fitted out, the external cladding can, can commence and the, the landscaping can be practically complete. We should make it clear that Hillcrest are working with a different company. They're working with Enovate and um, their system is different from the system that Jennifer's company uses. So Jennifer, could we have a bit of a description of what's left to do on site when your pods arrive? Um, is there cladding to do? Is there, are you using steel frames? Just tell us a bit more about, about your process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our, our system is similar in some ways to, to Enovate. I suppose the main difference is that it's, it uses timber frame construction rather than a steel frame. But similarly, you know, 90% of the home is completed in the factory setting rather than on site. And basically each home is made up of either two or four modules. 
and each of those modules is completed to ceiling height or to roof height in the factory, fully fitted kitchens, bathrooms, plumbing, electrics, even has its first coat of paint before it goes to site. And then, you know, again, slightly different uh, to the to Hillcrest project. Most of the development that we do are low rise housing. So when we deliver a block to site, um, and that might be, you know, a terrace of houses or a block of cottage flats, they are designed for that bo entire block to be wind and water tight on the day that it's delivered. The current project that we're working on in Dundonald, um, which is 63 homes for Riverside Scotland, the Housing Association, they are opted still to go for a, a block and render finish around the modules once they arrive on site. Um, so there's still a wee bit more to do sort of on, on that front. Um, although the modules are essentially, you know, fully complete internally. But we, we do have a, another system uh, that we use. For example, we recently completed an affordable housing project on the Isle of Mull, where all of the modules were, were clad before they left the factory. So then there's just four to five days of connection works and uh, internal decoration to complete to be completed until those homes are, are fully complete on the site. Jennifer, you mentioned earlier that you've had a lot of visits from prospective clients, uh, housing associations and councils. But I remember from my reporting of the Dundonald development that visits from residents was part of that process as well. So the end user had, did they have a say in, in any sort of like de design features or, or anything like that? Yes, so it was it was really exciting for us to have, um, you know, some of the, the tenants that were gonna be moving into these houses at Dundonald come to see the factory. Uh, you know, having started our our business, dealing with um, the end customers as we build, go through our, our wee house builds um, and sort of working really closely with those clients on exactly what they want in their, their new house and seeing their excitement build um, as it comes to the day for, for move-in. We found that that was something that we were sort of missing out in a, a bit um, when we were working on affordable housing projects. So it's been really nice to be able to interact with the tenants a bit as we, we go through this. On, on the projects that we've, or on the, the, the project that we're doing at Dundonald, um, I suppose the specification was more directed by Riverside, the, the housing association. Um, but that's that's based on, um, you know, all of this sort of information that they've collected from their tenants over the years. Our project on on Mull with Mull and Iona Communities Trust, um, we had the opportunity to to work with the community group a bit more on the design um, of those houses, particularly because it was for island living. You know, we we had a, a consultation period with the community group there who made suggestions um, such as including a, a porch on each of the houses with a, a storage area for outdoor uh, wellies and, and coats and stuff like that um, because they you know, do a lot more outdoor activities and also to incorporate much bigger larder cupboards uh, within them so that when people pop off to the to the mainland to to do their big shop they've got plenty of room to to store hundreds of toilet rolls at a time that sort of thing <laughs> and andy what about hillcrest uh, are the tenants 
already allocated these homes at this point or how, how is that process going and what's the tenant input if any there, in this case, no, no, um, they haven't been allocated as far as I know yet. We, we, as a development team, we would then hand it over to the housing officers of course. tell them when it's coming. It's it's not a regeneration. We've got another regeneration stone's throw away from it. So in that case, we do work with, with the tenants. But in, in this case, I think it would be dangerous, and, and Jen would probably agree with me, to give too, too much input from a a tenant that is very likely not to be a resident uh, because what we need from the nature of this development is a, rep- a repetition of the, of the floor plans for for the nature of mod- modular building that, that's that's why this particular development lent lent itself to modular building so well because of the repetitive nature once you start introducing a, a bespokeness I, th- I think it's uh, kind of starts to unravel a little bit does that strike a chord with you, Jennifer? Uh, you know, one of the things about uh, modular construction in particular is that it really benefits from early engagement with the, the modular builder sort of early in the design process. Because if you're not designing from day one with modular construction in mind, then when it comes, you know, trying to break down a building that wasn't designed to be split into modules you know, breaking it into to modules at a later stage just doesn't have the same level of, of efficiency as it would if, you know, we could be in, involved in, in the design process from, from day one. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, sort of requires a bit of a, a shift in mindset from how the the industry is sort of used to working. See, it's, it's interesting. And one of the things I fear is if model modern methods of construction, modular building, become prevalent, then all the houses in Scotland will look the same. Andy, you're an architect. Could you put up with that? Is that, is that, a, is that a risk that everything's just going to be a bit too homogeneous? It, it depends what angle I'm coming at from this. Um, if, if I'm building for, or designing affordable housing, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel every time. And I think we're not far off getting the perfect floor layout that works for everyone but then every two years things change hybrid working for instance and homeschooling we're now going back through our our design brief to try and for health and well-being w- what can we do for for a family that is actually forced together when they don't want to be together we're we're looking at a smarter design for the general layouts and i don't think we're far away from doing that but so just to go back to what you were you were saying that as an architect yes we're possibly going down the soulless route in terms of um, taking away the opportunities for bespoke design. But for when we're designing for someone that's actually not in place yet, I think we we'll have to accept that we we'll go for the smartest, most efficient home and um, health and well-being uh, uh, kind of approach, general layout that we can. And and I, I think that the, the spaces. The, the design and the um, the more bespoke nature comes from the elevations and the spaces between the buildings, especially if we're going down the route of people being at home more, that actually the outdoor spaces are the spaces we can start to make a bit more characteristic and unique to their to their, their location. If I could just uh, jump in there as well, Andy, um, I, you know, I'm inclined to say that, you know, modular construction provides an opportunity to do exactly the the opposite of that, Jimmy. Um, you know, 
I think what we have just now with a, a sort of limited number of major health builders means that you know there's a limited choice out there in terms of the the style of home that that people can choose from and that there's you know a lot of repetition in the the offering up and down the country with sort of little variation to take account of of vernacular architecture and i think modular construction actually gives as the opportunity for buyers, whether that be um, for affordable housing or for, for private sale as well, um, to actually have more of a say in customising their their home. And um, even, you know, it doesn't have to be a sort of self-built architecture designed property that's a, that's a one-off. They can have the opportunity to customise homes on a development by sort of using the same mass customization tools that the likes of BMW use when you're when you're buying your car or Nike use for Nike ID trainers. You can you can select different layouts internally and you know different ways to design your kitchen, different places to put walls within your house and um, and then also with the you know with the option to to clad the houses in the factory then that can that can give a, a much wider range of external finishes as well rather than just a blockwork render and, and brickwork you know i'm I, i'm hopeful that actually um that modular construction is going to move things in the opposite direction and and make it more customizable for for individuals i think it's worth a mention that the Victoria Dock development will be the largest modular affordable housing project when completed, but the current one is the one in Dundonald. Uh, Andy, when are we? When's that button going to be passed to Hillcrest? The only way to get confidence in the in this from the industry is by the two big things: hitting budget and hitting program. And our program stalled for various reasons. Um, but so is every other single development of this scale in Scotland, whether it's Brexit or cost uncertainty. Um, so so I'm, I'm reluctant to put a, um, a time frame on, on Victoria Key because it's like saying, once you set, that's it. People remember you for it. But um, it, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say <laughs> because and, and the issue is we've got, um, we've got two distinct blocks as well. So, um, there's, there's scope for taking a pause in between and reevaluating and looking back. There's no plans at the moment of doing that, but again, this lends itself to it. And what we, we can look back and kind of go, right, is there, can we do anything slightly better? But in terms of, I keep, I keep coming back to the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. And at the moment, I don't think we have the necessity for, for going down this route. At the moment, Jen, I think there's various things that are going to still have to fall into place to convince, say, an RSL that this is the right route. An RSL likes to work on certainties. It likes to know budget. It likes to know program. It, and it needs to know the program because a, a lot of the, the funding comes from rental income. Uh, so if a project gets delayed by 12 months, there's an impact on basically the, the feasibility for the project from the start. 
perhaps you know maybe um, there is there is a difference between uh, a high rise type of project that that you're doing at, at Dundee to to a low rise project um, that we're working on at Dundonald, but. We've been really pleased and, and um, well, I hope that Riverside would, would agree as well that they've been pleased with the fact that, um, you know, despite the challenges that have come from COVID and Brexit um, with, you know, huge spikes in materials costs and availability of, of labour as well, we've managed to keep the project on time and on budget. Uh, which has been great and I think the the factory has played a, a huge role in, in making sure that all of that happens um, you sort of touched on it Andy earlier you know we've, we've seen a, a huge advantage in being able to purchase bulk materials in advance particularly timber um, during the sort of the middle of, of last year that helped us to secure much better prices um, and and helped us to to stay on budget and then also we've you know when there's been a real shortage of joiners again towards the the tail end of last year we were able to to attract the the best talent out of the pool within the area because we are we were able to provide um, job security for for people they were where tradesmen are used to moving from site to site um, for projects that last a year or two years and maybe they're gonna have to go and work three or four hours away from home they're seeing this as an opportunity and um, to really sort of make a, a career where they can move up through the company and they can stay in in one location for a longer period of time so for us you know modder has really had had huge benefits okay we're going to finish up very shortly so i could ask you both what's the biggest benefit of modular construction and what's the biggest risk and just we short answers if you can so we'll start with you andy what's the biggest benefit what's the biggest risk uh, in, a, in a in a normal world i would say in the program is the biggest uh, benefit uh, and hopefully um, in terms of the, the, the our tenant or the occupants enjoyment of it it shouldn't feel any different to, to a traditional build but my hope is that soundproofing which is an issue for our tenants if even if they think something's built as per the, the current building standards you know we see his family above and family below so I'm, my hope is that the benefit for the tenants will be the soundproofing what's the biggest risk the biggest risks I, I feel at this point in time would be the lack of companies and contractors that can that can do the work uh, within Scotland. So uh, we're limited to the, the numbers that we can call on if things go a little bit wrong. And Jennifer, what about you? Biggest benefit, biggest risk? So in terms of benefits for us, it's about building better quality homes, greener, that can be occupied faster. And um, so in terms of, of quality, we've got a strategy quality regime um, and on a recently completed development we averaged just 1.1 snagging items per house during the 12 months defects period so I think that's you know a real testament to, to the level of quality that can be achieved in, in off-site construction and in terms of actually the the properties that we are we are building and um, we've had a real focus on the building fabric to the extent that every home that we build now 
is essentially has a net zero ready building envelope. Uh, and that means that we're just having to introduce, you know, different degrees of renewable technology for heating, hot water and ventilation to meet the different sustainability standards, whether it be gold, uh, silver, net zero, etc. But Jennifer, that's lots of biggest benefits. What, what about the biggest risk? What is the biggest risk? I think, um, you know, the biggest the biggest challenge that we've seen is that there are a limited number of lenders who are willing to fund modular construction, which can make it a real challenge for, for people who are looking to, to take a project forward. So the biggest risks from Andy's side are the lack of contractors to do it. And the biggest risk from your side is the lack of funding to, to, to back it. And um, these are both obviously things that can, can change. And over the next few years, we'll see how the market changes. Thank you both for your contributions. It's been a really interesting episode of this podcast. And um, it's not the subject we had said we were going to talk about. We were going to be talking about procurement today, but unfortunately, we had to rearrange that. And we'll be coming back to that in the future. But for now, from myself, Jimmy Black, and from Kieran Finlay, the editor of the Scottish Housing News, and from Andy and from Jennifer, thanks for listening. <laughs>